This is day 45 of our daily Bible reading. Today we will read Deuteronomy chapters 24 through 27 and Psalm 45. Lord Heavenly Father, we're excited to be in your presence today. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to spend time with you and to learn from you and to grow in knowledge and in wisdom. We thank you, Lord, for the ability to come straight to your throne, to petition, to worship you, and to leave our offerings. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of your Son, who is the greatest gift that we could ever receive. We thank you that he lives today. May his position as high priest and Savior be glorified and magnified today. Please bless the reading of this word in Jesus' name. Amen. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out from his house, and she leaves his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, and if the latter husband turns against her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away is not allowed to take her again to be his wife, since she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. When a man takes a new wife, He shall not go out with the army, nor be charged with any duty. He shall be free at home one year, and shall give happiness to his wife whom he has taken. No one shall take a handmill or an upper millstone in pledge, for he would be taking a life in pledge. If a man is caught kidnapping any of his fellow countrymen of the sons of Israel, and he deals with them violently or sells them, then that thief shall die. So you shall purge the evil from among you. Be careful against an infection of leprosy that you diligently observe and do according to all that the Levitical priests teach you. As I have commanded them, so you shall be careful to do. Remember what the Lord your God did to Miriam on the way as you came out of Egypt. When you make your neighbor a loan of any sort, you shall not enter his house to take his pledge. You shall remain outside, and the man to whom you make the loan shall bring the pledge out to you. If he is a poor man, you shall not sleep with his pledge. When the sun goes down, you shall surely return the pledge to him, that he may sleep in his cloak and bless you, and it will be righteousness for you before the Lord your God. You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your countrymen or one of your aliens who is in your land, in your towns. You shall give him his wages on his day before the sun sets, for he is poor and sets his heart on it, so that he will not cry out against you to the Lord, and it becomes sin to you. Fathers shall not be put to death for their sons nor shall sons be put to death for their fathers. Everyone shall be put to death for his own sin. 
you shall not pervert the justice due an alien or an orphan, nor take a widow's garment in pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and that the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore I am commanding you to do this thing. When you reap your harvest in your field, and have forgotten a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, and for the widow, in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive tree, you shall not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, and for the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not go over it again. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, and for the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I am commanding you to do this thing. If there is a dispute between men, and they go to court, and the judge decides the case, and they justify the righteous and condemn the wicked, then it shall be, if the wicked man deserves to be beaten, the judge shall then make him lie down and be beaten in his presence with the number of stripes according to his guilt. He may beat him forty times, but no more, so that he does not beat him with many more stripes than these, and your brother is not degraded in your eyes. You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. When brothers live together, and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the deceased shall not be married outside the family to a strange man. Her husband's brother shall go in to her and take her to himself as wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. It shall be that the firstborn whom she bears shall assume the name of his dead brother, so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. But if the man does not desire to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate to the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to establish a name for his brother in Israel. He is not willing to perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of his city shall summon him and speak to him. And if he persists and says, I do not desire to take her, then his brother's wife shall come to him in the sight of the elders and pull his sandal off his foot and spit in his face. And she shall declare, Thus it is done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. In Israel his name shall be called, the house of him whose sandal is removed. If two men, a man and his countrymen, are struggling together, and the wife of one comes near to deliver her husband from the hand of the one who is striking him, and puts out her hand and seizes his genitals, then you shall cut off her hand. You shall not show pity. You shall not have in your bag differing weights, a large and a small. You shall not have in your house differing measures, a large and a small. You shall have a full and just weight. You shall have a full and just measure, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. For everyone who does these things, everyone who acts unjustly, is an abomination to the Lord your God.
Remember what Amalek did to you along the way when you came out from Egypt, how he met you along the way and attacked among you all the stragglers at your rear when you were faint and weary, and he did not fear God. Therefore it shall come about when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your surrounding enemies in the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You must not forget. Then it shall be, when you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, and you possess it and live in it, that you shall take some of the first of all the produce of the ground which you bring in from your land that the Lord your God gives you, and you shall put it in a basket and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to establish his name. You shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, I declare this day to the Lord my God that I have entered the land which the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. You shall answer and say before the Lord your God, My father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down to Egypt and sojourned there, few in number. But there he became a great, mighty, and populous nation. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us and imposed hard labor on us. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction and our toil and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and with great terror and with signs and wonders. And he has brought us to this place, and he has given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now behold, I have brought the first of the produce of the ground which you, O Lord, have given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God, and worship before the Lord your God. And you and the Levite and the alien who is among you shall rejoice in all the good which the Lord your God has given you and your household. When you have finished paying all the tithe of your increase in the third year, the year of tithing, then you shall give it to the Levite, to the stranger, to the orphan, and to the widow, that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. You shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the sacred portion from my house, and also have given it to the Levite and the alien, the orphan and the widow, according to all your commandments which you have commanded me. I have not transgressed or forgotten any of your commandments. I have not eaten of it while mourning, nor have I removed any of it while I was unclean, nor offered any of it to the dead. I have listened to the voice of the Lord my God. I have done according to all that you have commanded me. Look down from your holy habitation, from heaven, and bless your people Israel, and the ground which you have given us, a land flowing with milk and honey, as you swore to our fathers. This day the Lord your God commands you to do all these statutes and ordinances. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have today declared the Lord to be your God 
and that you would walk in his ways and keep his statutes, his commandments, and his ordinances, and listen to his voice. The Lord has today declared you to be his people, a treasured possession, as he promised you, and that you should keep all his commandments, and that he will set you high above all nations which he has made, for praise, fame, and honor, and that you shall be a consecrated people to the Lord your God, as he has spoken. Then Moses and the elders of Israel charged the people, saying, Keep all the commandments which I command you today. So it shall be on the day when you cross the Jordan to the land which the Lord your God gives you, that you shall set up for yourselves large stones and coat them with lime, and write on them all the words of this law, when you cross over, so that you may enter the land which the Lord your God gives you a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. So it shall be when you cross the Jordan. You shall set up on Mount Ebal these stones, as I am commanding you today, and you shall coat them with lime. Moreover, you shall build there an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall not wield an iron tool on them. You shall build the altar of the Lord your God of uncut stones, and you shall offer on it burnt offerings to the Lord your God, and you shall sacrifice peace offerings and eat there, and rejoice before the Lord your God. You shall write on the stones all the words of this law very distinctly. Then Moses and the Levitical priests spoke to all Israel, saying, Be silent and listen, O Israel. This day you have become a people for the Lord your God. You shall therefore obey the Lord your God and do his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. Moses also charged the people on that day, saying, When you cross the Jordan, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. For the curse, these shall stand on Mount Ebal, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. The Levites shall then answer and say to all the men of Israel with a loud voice, Cursed is the man who makes an idol or a molten image, an abomination to the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsmen, and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Cursed is he who dishonors his father or mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who moves his neighbor's boundary mark, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who misleads a blind person on the road, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who distorts the justice due an orphan alien, and widow. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who lies with his father's wife, because he has uncovered his father's skirt. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who lies with any animal. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who lies with his sister, 
the daughter of his father or of his mother. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who lies with his mother-in-law. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who strikes his neighbor in secret. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who accepts a bribe to strike down an innocent person. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. And all the people shall say, Amen. Psalm 45 For the Choir Director According to the Shoshanim A Maskil of the Sons of Korah A Song of Love My heart overflows with a good theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. You are fairer than the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in your splendor and your majesty. And in your majesty, ride on victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome things. Your arrows are sharp. The peoples fall under you. Your arrows are in the heart of the king's enemies. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy above your fellows. All your garments are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. Out of ivory palaces, stringed instruments have made you glad. King's daughters are among your noble ladies. At your right hand stands the queen in gold from Ophir. Listen, O daughter, give attention and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house. Then the king will desire your beauty because he is your Lord. Bow down to him. The daughter of Tyre will come with a gift. The rich among the people will seek your favor. The king's daughter is all glorious within. Her clothing is interwoven with gold. She will be led to the king in embroidered work. The virgins, her companions, who follow her, will be brought to you. They will be led forth with gladness and rejoicing. They will enter into the king's palace. In place of your fathers will be your sons. You shall make them princes in all the earth. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, the peoples will give you thanks forever and ever. Okay, let's do a quick recap of what we read today. Chapter 24, at least at the beginning of it, is core doctrines for how divorce is supposed to be done. It says in verses 1 through 3 that if a woman is divorced from her first husband and then marries a second guy, and then that person divorces her or dies, then she is not able to return to the first husband because she is now defiled. This is not saying that divorce is okay. 
God has been very clear throughout Scripture that he hates divorce. There's something very unique and very special about the union of a man and a woman in marriage, or when they have relations. And so today, when people are involved with loose living and multiple partners, they're giving a piece of themselves away to that person. Now, while I can't fully explain how this works, and the Bible declares that it is a very mysterious thing, it is nonetheless a very sacred thing. Virginity is something to be highly desired in a future partner, if you're not married. Virginity is rare these days, it seems, and it is precious in God's sight. His desire is for a man and woman to remain pure until marriage. And at that point, they are yoked together forever. Divorce grieves the heart of God. And there is only two times mentioned in the Bible when it is okay to remarry. And that is if you were divorced because of unfaithfulness from your partner, or if your spouse dies. That is the only reason why you can get remarried. But for divorce, unless it's infidelity, then you're married for life. And for any other reason, it is considered a sin. That is why it's very important that you have a godly marriage. You treat your spouse right, you live in a godly fashion, and you make it work. It's not always going to be easy. Take it from somebody who's been married for 16 years. And I barely even scratched the surface of it, because there are people who have been married far longer than me. But even in 16 years, it's not easy. But it is so worth it. It is so rewarding to know another human being almost as well as I know myself. And I wouldn't trade the time and energy I put into my wife for anything. She is very precious to me. The rest of the chapter goes through various laws that are either being reinforced from earlier in Scripture or may appear at the surface to be new. And they might be, but overall these are just basic laws as to how to properly be God's people. Again, you see the same reoccurring themes throughout this chapter, such as in verse 7, you shall purge the evil from among you, right? Purging evil is important to God because he wants us to be a holy people. He says that time and time again. And then the other thing he reminds the people over and over is that you were slaves in Egypt. You were once under captivity, and you once belonged to someone else, and they treated you poorly. But now you will remember where you came from and where the Lord has led you. Don't ever forget where you came from and recognize the power of God in him delivering you from that evil place. There are a couple of laws that I do want to focus on as we go through this. For example, in verse 16, Fathers shall not be put to death for their sons, nor shall sons be put to death for their fathers. Everyone shall be put to death for his own sin. This is the law of Moses teaching that each human is accountable for their own sin. In addition, there is no way that I can intervene in that way, meaning that if someone is worthy of death, for example, I am saved, transformed by the Holy Spirit, and there's somebody that's very precious to me that is not saved, 
My salvation cannot be given to them, and my children should not die for my mistakes. God holds each person accountable for their own sin. And so, we cannot affect each other's sin in any way, but we can definitely influence ourselves to not sin, right? We should influence each other by reinforcing good works, by edification, by encouragement, by fellowship, all these different things that we are called to do, because we are to be a holy people. But I cannot directly affect your salvation, because I have no power to save you. My own power didn't save me, so how can I save you? Only God can save. But I can try to be as good of an influence to you as possible, to point you to Christ. But ultimately, he's the one that calls. All of the chapters for today are about several different laws, but I'm going to continue to zoom in on a few as we go through this. In chapter 25, verses 5 through 10, we see what is called the law of the leveret, which is Latin for your husband's brother. This was a way that they would preserve a family name. And so if you were married to someone and you had no kids with them and the husband died, then the brother was responsible to marry that woman and continue the family name. Their first child together was going to be named what the dead brother was named. But if they don't want to do that, then in front of several witnesses, they have to do an act of shame. They take the sandal off their foot, and this was symbolic in those days for someone who abandoned their duty. This is not a law, to be clear, that we practice today, okay? Verse 13 explains how you should not have a bag with differing weights and differing measures. What that's talking about is fairness in trade. You don't want to cheat people out of price gouging or dishonest prices and so on and so forth. And that's mostly what it's referring to. Because there were merchants in those days who say you were trying to buy a pound of flour from them. Their particular measure would be a little skewed where the scale automatically had a little bit of weight on it. And so it wasn't a full pound that they were going to actually give you. And that's how they would cheat people. They would pad the scales, so to speak. So God is saying here that that kind of dishonesty is completely unacceptable. It is considered an abomination. In verse 17 through the end of the chapter, it talks about the Amalekites. God hates the Amalekites for what they did to the Israelites in the wilderness. And so this is going to be a permanent law that if you know of any Amalekites and you meet any Amalekite, you kill them on the spot. They need to be destroyed from the face of this earth. We're going to see that in a couple of other people in the future here, where they will be using that law and enacting it. King David is the one that comes to mind the most. Chapter 26 is about a particular set of offerings of first fruits to the Lord. And what this is about is when they go into the land to celebrate their arrival to the land, they are to give a special offering to the Lord as thank you for everything that he did and for acknowledging the power and deliverance he gave the people by allowing them to come to this fruitful land. This is a goodwill offering as well as a form of a tithe. 
And that was what the people were called to do. Now, in chapter 27, we see Israel doing something very unique. Moses is calling half the tribes to go to one mountain and perform a blessing, Mount Gerizim. But then they're supposed to go to Mount Ebal, the other half of the tribes, and pronounce a curse. And we read part of what that curse was, which is violation of God's law. But let me tell you something that is very, very fascinating. They found, very recently, an artifact on the top of Mount Ebal. And it was wrapped up very tight, but it was a piece of scroll that had part of this curse imprinted on it. It actually happened. Of course it did, because this is the Bible. But to think that there was an archaeological discovery, that they found the altar where this was actually done, and they found a piece of that curse written down. I love how God confirms his word through archaeology. I think it is fascinating, the stuff that we see that proves everything the Bible has said. And new and new stuff keep coming out and being discovered all the time, and it is just so awesome that God doesn't need to do this. His word is sufficient, but he loves to confirm and dumbfound people. How is it that the Bible was written so accurately? How is it that we have been proven wrong again by the Bible? Well, maybe it's because it's a supernatural book written by a supernatural God. Maybe that's why. And that's because that's exactly what it is. Praise God that he does that in our day, that through these, what I would call, miracles, he is confirming his word to his people and to mock the unsaved world. Now, in Psalm 45, this is what some commentators would call a royal wedding psalm. And so what this psalmist is doing is praising the king, and he exhorts the king to do good, and he describes what the bride is like. Now, at a surface level, that would seem like that's all well and good. It's just a royal psalm about a wedding, right? But we know that there's nothing so simple in the Word of God, right? There's always depth, and there's always more than one interpretation and meaning to Scripture. And so, what is it that we're supposed to glean from this? My personal interpretation of this, when I studied this in the past, was that verses 1 through 9 are Jesus Christ, the coming King. And you can see that very clearly. It is addressing the King, capital K. And so anytime in my Bible it gives a capital like that, it is talking about God, or one of the persons of the Trinity. And then it also mentions that there is a mighty one, someone who is recognized by the king. And that could be none other than Christ. He is the one that's supposed to gird his sword on his thigh in his splendor and majesty and ride majestically into victory. That's describing Christ at the end, when he returns the second time. That is totally Christ. Now for verses 10 through 17, this one is a little tricky because it could be either describing Israel itself, or it can be describing the church, which is the bride of Christ, which is what I think it is. Because so often in the New Testament, it refers to the church as the bride of Christ. 
how the church is the beautiful thing that Christ died for, and that he will return to reclaim and take home to him. So if you look through all the symbolism, you look through all the metaphors, that is the root meaning to this psalm. We are indeed, as God's people, the bride of Christ. And he loves us so much that he died for us. And he's not going to leave us alone. He mediates for us. And he sits at the right hand of the Father and intercedes for us. And one day, when his house is prepared, he will come and take us home because he loves us. Praise God that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and there is no one else. Our scripture to memorize today is going to be Psalm 45, verse 6. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. And with that, that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan. And we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.